Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. The Bible can be an incredibly dangerous book in the wrong hands. Thomas Merton, who is a Trappist monk who died in 1968, says the scripture is dangerous in the wrong hands of people. In the hands of people where their inner self is not yet sufficiently awakened to encounter the spirit because they try to use God for their own ego-centric purposes. So he's saying the Bible in the wrong hands can be trouble. Richard Vora goes on to say that in the Christian tradition, there are two major groups that use the Bible, the Catholics. And he says the Catholics, he being a Catholic, said they need, says they need to be converted to the Bible. He said they're not in touch with the Bible enough and use scripture very often. And instead, they prefer to quote popes, bishops, and saints, and rarely the Bible. He says Catholics need to be converted to the Bible. And he says that the Protestants need to do penance for how they use the Bible. <laughs> that there's very selective reading. And that, that reading is often sexist, racist, classist, xenophobic, and homophobic. And there needs to be penance from the Protestants who use scripture the wrong way. And he says that, Brian McLaren says that often the evangelical tradition uses the Bible as an evacuation plan after life. So you see, nobody gets away on this at all. He says that most evangelicals have no cosmic message, no social message, and there's little uh, sense for social justice. So you hear from someone like Richard Rohr that all of us fall under that umbrella that need either confession or penance, because we all know that lots of people stay away from church because of what they've heard the Bible say. And lots of it can be used in a way that is very harmful to others, like wives be subject to your husband, or women keep silent in church, or no one comes to God except through me, or slaves be obedient to your masters. So the selective use of scripture can be, as Thomas uh, Merton says, a very egocentric use for my own agenda. Used out of context, the Bible can be such, and the call is to a wider, more inclusive understanding of the Bible. And so this could be also said of the Proverbs as we plow through the Proverbs this summer. Like the one that I thought of today, spare the rod, spoil the child. One that is often used and was used by people to abuse their children through uh, corporal punishment. This can be an abusive use of the Bible, and I've met in my ministry over 35 years many people who were sexually abused while at the same time hearing scripture quoted in their ears. And so you see the Bible is a very dangerous book in the wrong hands, and I think they're quite correct. The Proverbs that we're exploring are similarly those kinds of things that can be used for or against you in a dangerous way. And I thought of spare the rod, spoil the child when I was speaking to Robert this week. Now, a funny thing happened in this church a couple of weeks ago. Robert was sitting here. Robert, just stand up just so you can see Robert at the back. 
Everybody knows you, but they don't know your name. That's Robert. I said to Robert, Robert, I want to talk with you. Little did I know that when I said, I want to talk to you, he thought he was in trouble. <laughs> but what I knew about Robert was, Robert's been here about nine years, and he has very many jobs in this church, whether it's counting people or helping people in when they're in a wheelchair or helping protect people at different times. But I wanted to hear some of his story. And I wanted to hear from Robert because the next week later when I said, Robert, I want to talk to you, he said, oh, I only thought you talked to important people, which I love that he had that perception and it was a good reminder to me. Because indeed, often we have spoken to important people like you and important people during COVID. It was delightful to speak with Brian McLaren or to have Jan Arden interview. And we did speak to some public figures. But indeed, the stories of the people you're sitting beside right now are equally as important. And so Robert and I had an interview this week. I came from my house that I was painting and I sat right here and he sat there. And we did this interview in this context ahead of time, just to be safe. And so I want you to see this 13 minute interview, and then I wanna share something about it. So this is me having a conversation with Robert. So there's a screen there and a screen there. So I invite you to this 13 minute conversation. If you have to move, uh, oops, have to move somewhere, go ahead. But. I know Robert from the sanctuary. Robert uh, is a fixture here for how many years? I think I've been here 10 years now, in one capacity or another. Yeah, and you often see Robert uh, doing many things on a Sunday, walks around clicking, does the count for us. Yeah. Uh, he's often at the back, which sometimes that gives us, you know what, for us at the front, gives us a sense of security to hear there. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've heard that from people um, that they, felt safer with me back there knowing I was back there. It's true. We do. Because sometimes, and one of the things we say everybody's welcome, that means everybody. So we have to welcome whoever comes. The other thing that I know that you uh, have been really significant in is helping, without us asking, helping people who are in wheelchairs get into the sanctuary. That's a really important ministry. And the people that you make in, you have a nice chat with them along the way, it welcomes them and makes them feel that they're included in this place. And there's another thing I gotta say that I know about you, and that is uh, we have, uh, you've helped some uh, Syrian and Ukrainian refugees to, to place your your apartment. Say something about that. Uh, started, what, three years ago when we first took in the Syrians. Um, we have Jim and her family, um, three kids. They needed a place, so I talked to Ann. I said, listen, I got an apartment open. Um, the rent was cheap enough, and we brought them in. And you know what? They're my, they're my clients into the building, and they just love it there. We like having them. And then when the Ukrainian crisis started, we've got uh, Yuri and his family upstairs. We've got Elena and her daughter above me. And then just got another Ukrainian girl uh, in, in the basement. And uh, yeah, no, things are going great. I just... The owners of the building love it because you know they're they're they're, they're tenants who always pay their rent on time and everything, and, and they're just great to have around. I mean, they're, they're good people and they've been through a lot, so I can attest you're going through a lot. So when you say you've gone through a lot, what have you done? Oh, Jonathan, my life has been one big um, shambles. 
um, up until <clears throat> probably oh, what? So I'm going to say 12 years ago. I was in. I just. I was alone. Um, I was lost. So I had no faith. Um, I was just. Uh, I was using. Um, and uh, I was a mess. And uh, I had no desire to carry on with life. I was I was fed up with, with living. I was just done with it. I didn't want to be around it. Couldn't see any purpose in it. That's hard. It really was. That's hard. A lot, you know, a lot, a lot of people go through that. Yeah. And it's good of you to say that. But it took a while. Um, and then I met some people that were coming here and uh, they talked me into coming here. Actually, that's not true. I came here because it was close. I lived in the area. Well, actually, that's why I lived in the area is because it was church. Um, I came here. I, I came here and I met somebody and they came and talked to me. And I just thought, oh, how can this person be so friendly? You know, like, she didn't even know. And, but, you know, and she was just, she was just a friend that took me as a friend. And she didn't even know me. And that, I, I, I was just so grateful for that. And uh, I, I, I just, I started coming. And uh, at first I was scared because this is an all-exclusive church and uh, I, I'm not, I'm not LGBTQ by any sense of the imagination. Um, I was a skirt chaser all my life. Um, I don't do that anymore, but um, I, I was scared about that, how people might, but then I started going to the group here. Um, the, uh, there's an NA group that meets here. And I started going to the group here and, uh, I, it was fantastic. Just some of the stories were just, I, I had to come just for the stories that they were telling. I mean, they were just, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I, I came here for about two years doing that. Um, I went through treatment. Um, I straightened myself out. I, I knew then that I wanted to change. I was one of the ones that, that you know, you see people who, are, who have addictions and they suffer, suffer from alcoholism. They don't want to change, and they might want to, but they don't have no desire to do it. Whereas I had desire; I didn't want to live that life. I wanted to change, or I wanted to die. And those were the only two choices I had. So I started coming here, and uh, it changed the way I started to think. And now, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable sitting at a table with somebody who's LGBTQ. I didn't bother me at all. I mean, be, live your life however you want to live. And before, I couldn't be like that. I could never do that before. Now, uh, you know, the, the, the people around this church, I mean, I can, I can hug them and talk to them, and I don't have a problem with that. So, so, I'm so grateful for that part of, that, that, that made me grow. That's awesome. From coming here. And, and uh, I think it's good for you to say it's scary to come into church. A lot of people can't imagine why, but it is. Oh. scary, right? Hard yeah. thing. Yeah. To ask for help. Is probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, I grew up in a, uh, I grew up not far from here, but I grew up in on the streets. I I was I was probably nine, ten years old, eleven years old, and I was out there. Um, I didn't go home because uh, I had, it was a very abusive home that I came from. Like 
I was just terrified of going home. So I just never went home. And that's how this whole cycle started of, uh, of, uh, home wasn't, home wasn't a safe place. It was not a safe place. And yeah, it was just not a, I, just a place I didn't want to be. Um, so, so, so when you were, you said that Christmas was tough, right? Christmas has been the toughest thing for me just because seeing, you know, I'd be walking around the streets, you know, when I say streets, walking around the neighborhoods and off of my feet and off. And then be looking at the picture windows, walking the streets, and see all the kids with their families and the trees, and everybody sitting around a big table having dinner. And, you know, and I, I, I was, I thought, why can't I have that? Like, what's wrong with me that I couldn't have that? I mean, I know it was going on where I, where I was from, but I, I wasn't allowed there. I couldn't be there when other family members were there or relatives were there because I was welcome there. Um, and I was only nine years old. Old that's hard as a kid. Yeah, well, that's you know, that's and, how it is. And you, uh, you're telling me about uh, an experience you had that blew your mind when uh, Kathleen Baker uh, shared a baby with you. What, was, um, what happened? Well, um, that was something that's eluded me my whole life. I mean, I've, I've had emotions and felt lust and all that kind of stuff, but I've never felt love or been loved. I don't know what it's like. I was at the Baker's for Thanksgiving, like we always do for the last, you know, nine years, which I'm so grateful for. It's almost like a family that I've Sound had. like you have Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Kathleen had her baby, and um, she says, do you want to hold it? Oh, yeah. You know, so I think that's a really tough battle to be holding so. So I, I held this little thing in my arms and I just started bawling. I could not stop the emotions that were coming out of me. And people just walked in and left me. And here I am holding this little bundle, the most precious thing in her life. And she's letting me hold this thing. And I was just bawling. I had tears. I, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Like, what the heck? But I knew I wasn't going to drop this kid. And I knew nothing was going to hurt this kid while it was in my arms. And I was so grateful for that. That's what love is. I don't know. That's I'm what hoping love is. That's what love is. Because, boy, that, that sure touched something. Yeah. It's love that she trusted you, and it's love that you felt from that day. That was something else. I will never forget that experience in my life. And I picked it up since then, but I never got that experience from it again. But boy, that first time, it was like, wham, something hit me with a hammer. And I, I just couldn't believe it. And I, you know, like, I've been through, through deaths, watched people die in front of me, and to me, it meant nothing. It's like, I didn't cry. I didn't, it, was, it was part of life. Holding, you never meant anything. Holding a baby. Yeah, and holding that baby was just something else. I tell you. That's an incredible gift. It was. And uh, I am so grateful to Kathleen uh, for sharing that experience with me and the Bakers in general. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're such good people. Yeah, as I guess they are family. They treat me like the Bakers and the Wilds family have been family key for 10 years. I'd say nine, 10 years, yeah. Nancy and Bob have been my, they saw me through my recovery 
um, they went to meetings with me when they went to um, um, the, the program that I was in. Um, they came down and supported me when I graduated. And that was like nine years ago, I think. And uh, yeah, it was, and here was this moment that I, you know, people say, well, how'd you guys meet? And I said, well, I walked in there in the alley picking up models and she came up and said, you know, that's, that's the story I like to go with, but that's not really what happened. It was, I was outside. And I, I said, I, I'd like to get into the sanctuary just for a minute. And she said, sure, come on. And she said, just sit down and do what you ever got to do. When you're done, if you want to talk, come and find me. And that's how that relationship started. Wow. And she was, she was such a great person. And her and her husband were just been sitting in the whole family. Kids that I always get the kids' name wrong. Still, to this day, I can't say their own. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, your family's them too. I don't know. And they're family to me too. I mean, if something ever happened, then they might be there on their feet. Well, one of the things I I would say is uh, there's lots of us here. Uh, look to you and count on you uh, to be here, to be your presence, and you're a big guy. Uh, but you have a gentle heart, and uh, as I said. Earlier, I remember a couple weeks ago, I said, I want to talk to you tonight. And uh, Tony, you were gone after church. And when I saw you, I actually said, I want to talk to you. You were thinking you did something wrong. I, I did, I did. <laughs> Nancy had told me that week that John wanted to talk to you. And I thought, what I do? You know, was, that's the first thing that goes through the mind. It's like, I didn't well, know. Anything. I know. So I wanted to talk to you because I, uh, you said something that really got me thinking. You said, you know, you talked to, Oh, you said something like, I thought you only talked to me important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think we see people, we only want to talk to people no matter. Even today when you were late, I'm thinking, oh, I was just kidding. Hold on. It was 529. I was one minute early, yeah. actually. Anyway, but here's the thing I believe everybody, no matter who we are, we're loved, we're forgiven, we're set free. And I also believe that everybody's got a story. And people can pretend all they want, but when you get a chance to hear some of the real story that you're sharing with us, that helps us be more real with each other. I just, I just hope people don't take it the wrong way, you know, say care about everybody that comes here. I know. And I would watch over them. I know you would. Look after them. And I kind of hope that that's what I do, because that's what I know how to do. And I don't want them to ever be afraid of me. I'm sure they, they would feel that's, that's, and gracious. That was one of the things that really, uh, was I was worried about doing this interview with you because I didn't want people thinking of us. Take a better read, I'll think more of you. I do. Robert, you shared some of your story, some of the tough stuff, and some of the recovery, and some of the people who are sitting here who uh, you met in the alley and who invited you in here, and you reminded us to be kind to the people who belong. And I hope you know that you and I and all of us are loved, forgiven, and set free. 
And I want you to go like this, and I want all of you to go like this. And pretend and imagine that you are holding a baby in your arms, and that baby is you. And these arms are God's. And I hope you always know that you are held and embraced by God, and that all of us are beloved children of God. And may that embrace send us into the world. Thank you, and thank you. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here, and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.